Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Hold My Dream, where we navigate the news and politics with a chaser of civility. I'm your host, Jen, inviting you to grab your favorite beverage, sit back, and imagine with us how to create a new American identity together. Welcome to this week's Hold My Drink and Counterweight podcast live. David, this is our first time going live. A um, little nerve-wracking. It is a little <laughs> nerve-wracking. <laughs> Probably more so for Gabs than for us. And that's our guest today is Gabrielle Clark, goes by Gabs. We've got a lot to talk to her about. Gabs, first, uh, did you bring a drink for this happy hour conversation? You know, I ordered a peach tea, so. Well, you are visiting Texas, so that is very apropos. Good for you. (laughs) David, what about you? You know, when my dad comes to visit, he always wants Southern comfort. And so I have this bottle. It was very accessible. And I actually like it, so I poured myself a little glass. That's some SoCo. That is like some college. Yeah. Yeah. That's a college drink. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I have to tell you, I'm very excited. I'm going out of my norm. I have got a mojito. Ooh, I love mojitos. But I'm a little bit worried that during this live broadcast, I'm going to get like a mint, you know, leaf stuck in my teeth <laughs> or like stuck on my lips. So yeah, thanks. We'll for- call you out if it happens. No okay. <laughs> yeah, because the screen is really small now. I can't really see myself. So <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Anyways, Gabs, you know, I've been posting a lot about your fight about the First Amendment in Las Vegas. But before we even go there, can you just tell us a little bit about you? Who's who's Gabs Clark? And then from there, just introduce us into the battle that you are currently facing. Who am I? (laughs) (laughs) I know that's a big story, but, you know, a lot of people, I want to know you. A lot of people are talking about your First Amendment fight, but I, I give us a little bit of background on who you are. I'm originally from Houston and um, I'm biracial. My mom is black and my dad was white. And um, I lived in Houston up until in my twenties. And then I moved to Dallas for 10 years and then I lived in um, Las Vegas for the, for the rest of that time. And um, I'm a widow. Uh, My first husband, my first husband was black. My second husband was white and he passed away. Um, And I have five children. So, um, you know, uh, prior to all of this, I was excited about graduating my youngest son and moving on to pushing my my last my last child, my daughter (laughs) into that direction. So I so I could, you know, kind of be done with motherhood. (laughs) In the earlier years, I had no idea that this was going to, um, you know, be such a big part of my life. And um, at the beginning of the school year, I just started noticing things um, in my daughter's class. Um, they were virtual learning that I was not happy with. And, and I started paying closer attention. And then I realized there were some very, very seriously troubling things going on. And I withdrew my daughter that minute from that class, from that school and put her in another school. And I went to my son and I asked what was going on in his class. And when he showed me, um, I was horrified. Describe what that is. I'd love to hear what, what you saw. Well, all of the, all of the materials, all of the uh, class materials that I saw 
are all available on the website, noleftturn.us, under uh, the Clark lawsuit. They're also, most of it is public record. I mean, uh, <laughs> there's all kinds of um, influencers and whatnot that have, you know, tweeted about it and, and written about it and all that stuff. But essentially, I just saw things about race and gender and religion, um, just those types of things that I thought were highly inappropriate for a civics class. I thought that was highly inappropriate, but um, even with that, you know, that, that the, the slides and things notwithstanding, the assignment that they asked my son to do was the most serious issue for me, which was that he was instructed to list his identities his race, religion, um, sexual gender, and uh, disabilities, and then attach signifiers like like privilege or oppressor to those identities. And mm. um, you're not going to do that to my kid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> you're not going to do that to my kid. You know, we were at that time, at that particular time, I had... I, I had just finished recovering from a disability myself for where I was in a wheelchair for years. And then COVID happened. So I couldn't, so I had to stay home with my daughter and wasn't able to get a job. So we were living in a motel for, for a while. And when that happened, my son was, we were living in a motel and William was sleeping on a mat on the floor. There was nothing privileged about his life. His mm. dad died when he was one year old. There's been mm. nothing that you can attach any kind of privilege to, at the very least, the color of his skin. So that wasn't going to happen to one of my kids, and all of his siblings agreed. Mm. How did you handle it with the school? Other than, I know you took out your daughter. How did you convey your displeasure with the school? I told my sons, what was happening? I told my, you know, my kids what was happening, and um, they, you know, couldn't believe it. We discussed it as a family, and then uh, I got in touch with the principal and the teachers, and I explained to them our position. And were they mm -hmm. receptive, or did they just kind of show you the the door? Well. We ultimately had to sue them. So well, clearly, that's what I was wondering. Like, I was wondering so you how to show them the door. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so obviously, it had to escalate to that point where they weren't receptive to what your son was going through. Right. Well, we asked for a remedy, and when we didn't get one, we I followed the appropriate chain of command and um, documented everything. And um, when I didn't receive a remedy from anybody. And I got in touch with everybody, everybody. <laughs> and when nobody would take me seriously and they didn't understand that I was not kidding. I was dead serious. You're not going to do this to my kid. And when they didn't believe me, I didn't have any other choice. And William, William didn't have any other choice. His conviction, his conviction is really is much stronger than mine. I'm just doing what my son asked asked me to do. Really? I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to protect my kid in any way that I can. Mm -hmm. And wasn't it true too, that um, one of the big things was he was failing this class 
because he refused to abide by the identifiers that they were trying to put upon him. Is that, did I get that right? He, they have since reversed course on that issue and allowed him to opt out of the class. They expunged his record and he was able to graduate. But at the time, at the time they were saying that he could not pass that class without completing his work and that he couldn't pass, he couldn't graduate without passing the class. And that was unacceptable to our family. And this class is a mandatory class. He had to take this class. It wasn't an elective or anything like that. No, it was a mandatory class. A couple of questions. Did they just recently make it mandatory? And did they just recently bring in this new kind of critical pedagogy into the class? Well, I can't really speak to either one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Because like every other parent, I thought everything going on in my Mm. kid's school was perfectly fine. You know, with the exception of some, some other issues that I had just kind of chalked up to teen angst and, you know, and having teenagers, you know, and I've since realized that a lot of things, a lot of things going on in all the schools all over the country are just not right. Mm -hmm. How did you get from there to a lawsuit? What, what happened next? Well, I mean, you know, there's always a series of back and forth in every lawsuit, you know, of of going over and over. Ultimately, the positions on both sides remain the same. They said they weren't going to let him opt out of that class. And I said he wasn't taking that class. And that's all I mean, you know, and we, you know, we, we couldn't come to an agreement on that. They have since reversed course on that and allowed him to opt out of that class and um, expunged his record of any bad grades from that class and allowed him to graduate. What about your daughter? You said that, I mean, I wonder if you would have even recognized this if it wasn't for, in some ways, maybe the pandemic was a bit of a blessing because you first recognized it with your daughter, her being online school. And was that she was going to a different school than your son? No, the same school. Ah, and that was a different class. So, so what what I'm hearing then is that this kind of pedagogy, this kind of teaching, is not just in the civics class. It's part of the whole school structure. Would you say? I don't know. I can't. I can't speak to the teaching itself. Um, I will say that there was a running theme that I thought was inappropriate for school aged children. And did were you able to find an appropriate school for your daughter? I mean, are are you worried that? This is going to be in every school. I mean, you said you put your daughter in a different school. I'm just, I'm worried that how do you get it out of, how do you get around this? Well, well, the first thing I did was I asked, I I got, I called uh, every school I could. And I asked them how they are handling diversity. And if they said something I didn't like, and I thought that, and I thought was wrong, then then I was like, thank you very much for your time. And I hung up the phone and I found, you know, and, and I mean, if they said something that seemed, you know, that seemed, I mean, like, okay. I had one, one principal who said point blank, we want to turn all of our students into social justice warriors. And I was like, thank you for your time. And I hung up the phone. (laughs) I mean, you know, I want to turn my kid into a scientist. 
<laughs> well, you don't, that's not your goal. If that's not your goal, then you're, then, then you're not teaching, you're indoctrinating. Like, if, you know what I'm saying? If that's not your goal, if your goal isn't to uh, get your students to a place where they ascend to a college level, um, then, then you're not teaching, you know, um, that if that's not your goal. So to me, I, I wanted to get my kid into a classical liberal education. You know, I am a, I'm a conservative, a lifelong conservative, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I want my kids to go to, you know, um, you know, a real strict, you know, nothing like that. I just wanted them to go to a classical liberal, have a classical liberal education where they can feel free to explore ideas without anybody giving them um, the sense that this is the way it is and you can't dispute this. Or this is who, you know, this is this is uh, the, you know, the prescription that we're giving to you and you can't do anything about, it. you know, um, I wanted my kids to be to excel in STEM. I wanted them to um, be able to um, choose their path in life and not have it dictated for them. And to me, this is that's the way this is going. And so, um, yes, it was very difficult. I, I spent all day trying to find a school for my daughter. Um, and and even now, you know, even now we still have other issues in our schools that we still have to worry about. Social emotional learning has become, um, you know, has become kind of intertwined with critical race theory. And I think, you know, that that is how people like Dr. Elena Fishbein and, and 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 all the people in no left turn in education, you know, got together and and, mm-hmm. and and kind of made the decision to organize and and fight this because we, we want our kids to be educated, not indoctrinated. Right. Right. So you said at some point they reversed course and allowed your son to opt out of that class, but you're still in a lawsuit with the system. What is the can you explain the nature of the lawsuit? Well, we just filed an amended complaint and you, I mean, you know, I'm not a lawyer. You know, I let them lawyer it up with all their, you know, I'm not a, I I couldn't even begin to tell you about what all of that rigmarole means. But ultimately, you know, we want justice for my son just because they decided to let him graduate um, look at what we had to go through. We had to fight for his rights that should have been established and should have been it should have been observed without us having to throw the most expensive temper tantrum in all of human history. <laughs> right. We, we we should not have had to do that. You know, it is it has severely disrupted our entire family's lives. You know, that's something that we should not have had to had to do, and yeah. I, we're going to continue. Because we don't want any other families to have to do it either. Yeah. You are giving your kids an alternative civics lesson. You realize that, though. <laughs> but actually, ironically, I'm giving them the same lesson that um, that their school was giving them. Their school told them to stand up for what you believe in and buck the system if, if the system is unjust. And that's exactly what William did. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you something else, though, like with regards to civics and, and specifically, you know, we um, have uh, Truth In Between, the organization that I founded, 
has done an alternative 1619 project. So we knew that 1619 was going to be put into the schools, put into civics classes, whatnot. And we said, so instead of saying ban it, let's say if you're going to do that, I believe, you know, history is important. And I don't know that we've always done the best job of reviewing history. So we created the alternative 1619, which isn't just an alternative. It is here's 1619. So we literally took essay by essay and we said, here, read this. All right. 1619 essay, but then read this. And then we had like a follow up on why we paired those two. And for us, we thought that that was one, you know, an elegant solution to something that I think a lot of people who are introducing CRT or an evolution of CRT. We use that word, you know, very loosely now. Some anti-racism or, you know, anti-white or whatever, you know. Their, their original concern was that we weren't dealing with history well. That's the right. original concern. And it's just kind of morphed from that into being race essentialism. And, you know, all the ugly things that you've had to deal with. Right. So would you say if there was a, a civics class... That was like what I just explained, you know, the alternative 1619 project. How would you feel about that? I mean, do you feel like we're doing a good job of teaching our kids about, you know, their history and, and, or our history? No, I'm sorry, our history. You know, I mean, slavery is all of our history, right? All these ugly things are our history. Do you think we're doing a good job of that? And if we're not, would you, how would you say that we could amend that from your point of view, from what you've seen as a mother? Well, I mean, I, I did homeschool my kids for several years. They've spent more time in homeschools and charter schools than they had in public school, schools, by and large. Um, and no, we're certainly not doing as good a job as we could be doing in, in well, anything as far as education goes, if we're to be honest. But, um, you know, a, a, a lot of, and I'm, I'm seeing this, especially with Black conservatives that are saying, hey, look, you know, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need to have a more comprehensive, historical, accurate, uh, accurately historical understanding of, of what America is. And I, I, I have to agree with that. You know, I have to agree with that. But we don't need to do that by telling the black kids they can't excel because white people won't let them. That's that is no. <laughs> it's no. it's it's shocking to me. I'm so glad that you put up the actual curriculum on No Left Turn, and I'll, I'll write that into the notes because, you know, I, when I was searching for curriculum to write, because, uh, again, our big thing is alternative curriculum. Okay, do this, but also do this. It, it's almost become a secret, Gabs, like what the actual syllabus, like actually finding the syllabus is, it's, it's a challenge, which that right there should tell you there is something wrong. Right. I mean, teachers will not put their syllabus up online. And that was one. that was that has been, a, excuse me, a concern for me for years. And I would always ask for teachers, for any teachers, all of their syllabi. Like I would ask for all of that. And, you know, some teachers I would get that and some teachers I wouldn't. And it had always concerned me. And like you were saying uh, a while ago, the pandemic has, you know, this has, and I've said this before, this is the silver lining in, mm. you know, of, of what is, of what happened with the pandemic. Parents got to see exactly why their kids were having these hard times in school and why their kids were, um, 
were feeling disconnected and, you know, just all of these things that had not, that were unexplained before. And, and, and getting to understand why their kids weren't, you know, or, or, or getting to a place in their education that they should have, because instead of spending time on, you know, learning, you know, math, uh, language and science, they're spending time on stuffies and, you know, learning, um, you know, all of that nonsense. We, you know, we don't send our kids to school for that. You know, and and I understand. I understand that there are some things that need to be done, but first and foremost, the syllabus is one of those things that I feel like if you don't have a problem with the parents knowing what is in your syllabus, then you should go ahead and just put it up on your website because every school has one, and and they and it all has almost mm-hmm. limitless space to put up anything, and and we shouldn't have to file. For after four-year request to get the get the syllabus and then and, and get the origin from it and where it came from and who paid for it and what you know what I mean who provided that syllabus or who provided that particular curriculum we we should that's the kind of thing that should be up there and every school should be excited to know that parents want to see it hmm. and that's a legit I mean I that is absolutely within a parent's right. And like I said, I just repeat, it's so scary that you can't even get the syllabi. And to, to echo what you said, um, I was, it wasn't with my, one of my son's classes, but with a friend's daughter and she was taking this class. And this was during the, uh, right after George Floyd murder. And the teacher was offering extra credit for the kids to go to the protests. And that's fine. Yeah. Extra. I mean, I actually heard it with my ears, you know, like, and, and again, like I, I'm, I'm okay. If teachers are like, Hey, I'm going, you know, whatever, but like to give extra credit to make your grade dependent on something that you might not believe. I mean, I, I actually like, because it wasn't my child. I just kind of like, I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, forget- don't believe we were we were having a pandemic like we, that's the kind of that's the kind of re, that's the reason why we were supposed to not be you know at school and at work to begin with because we were in the middle of a pandemic I mean I understand what you're saying though I, you know I, I wouldn't allow my kid to go to a protest because safety you know what I mean mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't allow one of my children to go to a protest and should, a teacher certainly shouldn't be. That's the kind of stuff that you can do in college. You know what I mean? College students can make that determination for themselves and assess assess whether or not they want to participate in that kind of thing. But but to require that of a of a kid, you know, I don't understand why why people are are insisting that if they treat kids like adults then they'll automatically be able to think like adults. No, you know, they're children and we should keep them as innocent as possible. And that includes, you know, that sands the, the protests. You know what I'm saying? Let's let's mm-hmm. let that, you know, happen later on. We don't need to we don't need to, you know, turn our kids into in and in, in make will really make those kinds of decisions for them. You know, one of the things that I prided myself on as a mother is is being able to allow my children to see whatever and explore whatever avenue they feel is is right for their for their conscience. 
you know, and they say if they if this is something they believe in, then I support that. One of my kids was a vegetarian for seven years. And let me please tell you, I did not. I was not super excited about that. But as a, as a meat eater, you know, I was not super excited about that. And I was not super excited about having to make two dinners every night. But, you know, I support I supported my child's interests because it was important to him when he told me, mother, mother, I cannot. Animals are my friends and I can't eat my friends. And I was like, you know what? There are alternatives. It's not, you know what I mean? I, I gave him some parameters. I said, you have to eat fish and you have to eat eggs. That was it. You know, and I think I told him he had to drink milk. So he did. So that was how we handled that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel like you can allow your children to to go down their path without without trying to force them into something in an in an unauthentic way. You understand what I'm saying? So so where are you now with this lawsuit? I'm sorry to take it in the legal direction, but where you you filed the lawsuit, is it going before an equal opportunity commission? Is it going before or is it going straight to the courts? Do you know what the timing of that is? What's that like? You mean like the EEOC? You're talking about the EEOC, yes. No, because we're not employees of the school. Right. So it doesn't go through that step. No. Yeah. I should know in that one, but um, (laughs) (laughs) right. It only goes if you're an employee of a school system. No, that's a Jody Shaw question. Um, (laughs) Uh Yes, it is. She's an EOC person. Like I said, we just filed our amended complaint and um, you know, there's, there's all kinds of motions and this and that and all that neck and neck do, you know, that the lawyers have to do. <laughs> and then there's a hearing and then there's this thing and then there's that. You know, that's one of those things you have to ask the lawyers, honey. I just show up when they call my name. I just... All right. That's fine. That's fine. Are, are, did you find there was a supportive community of people out there once you declared your opposition to what was happening in your school to help you make sure you got what you needed to be able to fight the good fight? Well, um, you know, in the beginning, it took me a minute to find to find out what in the world I was doing because I had no idea what this was all about. All I knew was that my son's rights were being violated. I didn't know what critical race theory was. I didn't know what any of that stuff was. I didn't know what you know i didn't never heard of them but no i'd never heard of that kind of um those kinds of theories the the critical theories and stuff like that in academia i had never heard that before so you know i got a twitter (laughs) and (laughs) i started looking because i you know i'm like like i said i was i was planning a whole nother life for myself that didn't have anything to do with social media and so you know i got on there and i looked for different people and things had to do a lot of reading and a lot of, um, you know, uh, searching and trying to understand what, what this was all about. And the more that I understood it, the worse it got. And I was just like, Oh hell, you know, (laughs) terrible. (laughs) So, you know, I, I started looking for help and, and, you know, in so doing, I found, you know, I found it, you know, I found, um, Dr. Borisenko, you know, Carlin Borisenko, she, I sent her everything I had. I sent a lot of stuff to a lot of people, but I sent, uh, you know, I sent everything that I had to uh, her and, 
and she did a video on it. And from there, I, after that, I saw um, I saw Dr. Elena Fishbun on Tucker Carlson, and you know, I I searched all over the place for her because I had no idea, you know, of even how to find you know these people. Um, I just, you know, I just did general searches to find out what was going on. And from there, um, uh, I gave Elena the video that Carlin made and Elena got me a lawyer. And from then on, we just, you know, we've been kind of working our way up the, up the chain and, you know, and in and, in and out of all of these, you know, different, um, different circles. Um, to try to figure out what it is that we're dealing with and how we should respond. So I, I, this might be a question that you, um, because it, it is kind of touches on the legal side, but I had a friend of mine who is a lawyer who was interested in this, this conversation. And he asked, um, do you have any idea why the lawyers ch- chose First Amendment versus civil rights for? They just, they, it's all, it, we, we, in our in our filings, we uh, allege all of them in our plea. Okay. Mm. It was is a first. It was compelled speech and and Title Six and Title Nine. Um, you know, compelled speech is you know compelled speech is definitely one of those things that you just that's just a no brainer. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, I think my very first interview that was what I said. You can't you can't go to a job and they, they can't ask you that stuff on a job. You know what I mean? You, you Your employer can't ask you what religion you are and race you are and all of that whole business. That's not right. That's not legal. Um, so you shouldn't be, you know, school shouldn't be able to ask you that stuff and let alone ask you that protected stuff with the sole purpose of discriminating against you because of it. I mean, that's just insanity. I don't know. I don't know. Even even proponents of critical race theory have said what happened to my son is the absolute wrong way to to introduce this kind of um, this kind of pedagogy. Mm-hmm. But I think it's becoming more and more um, you know popular. You mentioned SEL, social and emotional learning, and we are both David and I are friends with a friend here in in. Texas, who is just left that field because he saw that was the gateway, if you will, (laughs) for a lot of this. And, you know, the thing with social and emotional learning is it's not a class. It's, again, a pedagogy. So it covers everything. And so when you infuse that social emotional learning, it kind of gets in without that critical thinking or without the not your knowledge. And so that's true. You used this word earlier, but that's that's that is indoctrination. Like I'm fine talking about CRT or even bringing CRT as one lens. And David and I, have, you know, mentioned this several times. But where you don't even know what it is that you're being kind of taught is, and it, we go back to you can't find the syllabus anywhere, and right. that so all those things add up, and you go, huh, something. And then, and I mean, and I, you know, I feel like that's the part of this that makes it gross and icky um, to me mm-hmm. is that because then they can say we don't teach that and you know mm. we don't teach you have that. no way of proving them wrong <laughs> right you know i mean you know and i mean that's what that's what they can you know come right to i mean and, and tell you right to your face 
we don't that's not in our curriculum we don't do that is not in the description of the class that is not part of the curriculum that's that's what you know that's mm-hmm. what they can just tell you and when you look at look at the stuff and when you look at what the description of classes well that isn't in the description of the class but lots of things aren't in the description that doesn't mean that they're not happening you know and you and 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 the only way to find out is if you are actually there a lot of parents have realized some of the terrible things that are going on in their kids schools and in their kids classrooms with their teachers because of um zoom and because of cell phones and and recordings i mean we've had some terrible things you know teachers giving cupcakes to students who are gay only (laughs) or who come out as you know Mm -hmm. i mean like that's wrong you know or 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 you know teachers chastising uh one student for wearing a MAGA hat or whatever, you know what I mean? I don't care what kind of hat you have on. If unless unless it's unless it is something just really out outlandish and, and, and despicable and disgusting, uh, a pa- you know, patriotic does not fall in that category. So you, you know, I just can't even imagine chastising a child over something that you find distasteful. Um, you know, and like I said before, we you can definitely express your opinions on how you feel about things as it pertains to, you know, um, education and, 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 and even social issues. But where, where there's a problem is when you start to assign uh, good and evil and right and wrong to it and make that a prescription. Like, just say, this is how it is. And if you don't believe that, then you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Or you're bad, you know. That's mm-hmm. that's that is absolutely has no place in K through twelve education. You know, I want to move from this a little bit and and talk about you being a black conservative. <laughs> I mean, you probably have faced a little bit of um, pushback against that. Like, can you tell us a little bit more about your? Your feelings around that, like what have you have you faced some isolation? I mean, it's just it's sadly, I mean, well, not sadly. I mean, it's it's just it's usually most people who are minorities tend to be <laughs> vote de- or vote Democrat. So I love the unicorns. I love to hear from the unicorns. You're a unicorn. So tell us your life as a black conservative. You know, um, I. I, I say I'm a lifelong uh, conservative and I'm a lifelong Republican. However, prior to President Trump, I hadn't voted for a Republican in more than 10 years because I had felt like lots of Americans that, you know, that they weren't representing what I believed in anymore and that they weren't doing the things that I felt like um fall under, you know, conserve the conservative um, uh, principles. Um, and that was a lot of people. And, you know, so when president, when president Trump came along, you know, it felt when he was, when he was talking to the black communities, when president Trump said, you know, what do you have to lose? I'm looking around and I'm going, I ain't got nothing to lose around. Yeah. 
You know, I mean, we were we were struggling. You know, I was in a wheelchair. I couldn't get insurance. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't afford Obamacare. My sons didn't have jobs. They they had gone through all kinds of training programs and still couldn't find jobs. You know, um, that you know, it was just it was just it was a mess. And we were we were struggling. We ended up losing everything. And, you know, my kid, my daughter was going to a school. She was going to a school where um, they had they had decided to teach half the day in Spanish because they had so many Spanish speaking students. And while there's nothing wrong with that for the Spanish speaking students, my daughter didn't speak Spanish. So it was just like, you know, what was I you know, how was I going to handle that? And I ended up sending her to a magnet school. And she was able to excel there. They did not know, and neither did I, that that my daughter was in the 98th percentile, and they ended up putting her in gate. Now, had she stayed at that failing school, because it was failing, she we would have never have known that, you know. And so, I mean, it was just when when President Trump came along, it changed everything in my life. It was only he had only been, you know, uh, president for like a year and everything started to change. My son, one of my sons got a federal grant for a train for a training program that wasn't available before. Um, one of my sons uh, got a job uh, in a in a brand new a brand new um a restaurant that was built in an opportunity zone that wasn't, you know, an opportunity that had been available before. Um, one of my sons just got a great job because they hired everybody that came in because they needed people to work because the economy was good. And I was able to get, you know, I was able to get um, a knee surgery that I had been denied several times you know, by Medicaid because they weren't doing knee and hip surgeries for people. They were just giving them pain meds in shots. And, you know, they, they the policies changed under under President Trump where people who, you know, had these minor surgeries got them so they could go back to work and not be lifelong dependents on the government. This is the kind of stuff, I mean, and when we talk about like being a black conservative, those were, those were some of the issues that we were facing being poor living, you know, in the black community and, 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 and having to deal with some of those things, you know, people talk about jobs and all of that kind of stuff. And why can't you get a job, you know, when a Democrat is president? Well, theoretically you can, but if you don't have a car and you don't have bus fare and you're, and you found a job, but that job is two hours away by bus and you got to walk 45 minutes to get to a bus. What is the likelihood that you're going to be able to keep that job? Oh, and by the way, you got, you know, a, a, a disabled mother at home and you know what I mean? So it was just, you know, those are some of the issues that that people face. And, you know, I, I, I when I think about my conservatism and how how it affects me and how it affects my life, you know, there's a line. There's this weird line that, you know, I've got white kids, so I'm protecting them from from some of the exact same things that I'm supposed to be in favor of because I'm black. You know what I mean? And it's just like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to be in favor of, you know, of scapegoating my kid. And I'm certainly not going to be in favor of you telling my other kids that they can't do better because, because, you know, 
uh, some imaginary uh, system is keeping them down. The system doesn't have to keep them down. We, we, can, we changed that very quickly under President Trump. And I think it was Sonny Johnson who was talking to, um, to President Trump about this. And, and he, she told him what was happening. When you give money to these, you know, when you give these grants to these cities, these Democrat-run cities, we still got to go through a Democrat to get them. So we don't have access to capital for, for, for businesses. Or there's, you know, there's not, there's not the, um, access, the same kind of access in, or, or you, you, have, you, you have to grease the right palms in a Democrat district in order to get this business built. You know what I mean? That, that you know, somebody else may not have to do. And it's just like you have to deal. We have to deal with that stuff on the ground. So even if the even if the money comes from on high, even if the help or the or the um, legislation or whatever comes from on high, when you have a when you have this terrible system going on at the local level and you still can't get past it, that's where we need to focus. And so as a black conservative, you know, I listen to these people like Sonny Johnson and Maj Torre and, and, you know, and Kira, you know, I listen to them and I, I, um, you know, I don't agree with every single thing that, um, that, you know, that happens and that they said, but I'm in a different, you know, particular situation that, you know, I can't, you know, I can't say definitively on every single thing. I agree with that because I have, you know, I have this other whole right. other side. Right. right? So, right. but, mm. um, you know, I find myself in the unique position of being, you know, being um, kind of jumped by Democrats and Republicans on a lot of things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, sometimes, you know, I get from, from Republicans, well, you know, that's, that's, you sound like a socialist. Well, no, honey, I sound like a poor person who who knows what it's like to be poor and understands the difficulties that, that poor people face, especially in urban, in the urban community. And so, you know, if you don't, if you're not there and you don't see what's going on, it's more than just father, you know, it's more than just having no father in the home. My, my husband, my husband died when my kids were very young and there was nothing we could do about that. But all of my kids have jobs because of what, what happened in 2017 for us all of my kids were able to succeed because we were able to get we were able to a pathway was cleared for us so we could get out you know first of all i actually want to apologize to you because you're i love what you said i love how you clarified because nothing is a monolith i mean black conservatism is not a monolith you know um you know republicans democrats they're not monoliths and you really like showed your you know yourself and your own individuality and personality through that question that answer. So I appreciate, I really appreciate you pointing that out. Thank you. It's so easy. You know, we, we sit there and we blame CRT for putting us in these groups, right? I'm not this, I'm not that. And then here I ask you, well, what's it like to be, you know, it's hard not to ask that question though, because it is a bit, I mean, it is a bit of a unicorn, like I said, but I really, um, I just want to tell you that I, I valued, I valued your response because it just goes to show, I mean, we can't lump people into these categories. We can't label people. And it's just, it's messy. I don't think you can do that in America anyway, because yep. America, I mean, do you know what you are? I don't. Right. I mean, 
<laughs> do you know what you I don't know all of the things <laughs> I am, you know. I I don't know all of the things I am, and I can be one thing one day and one thing another day because mm-hmm. that's America and you can do that. You know? And that's what makes it beautiful too. That's what I love. I mean, it's, we're very, very diverse in that way. That's 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 Lowry said. Glenn Lowry was talking about that recently about how mm. he doesn't know if he could agree with his younger self on so many issues, even though the intent mm. was in the right place and it seemed right at the time. But you mm. know, truth truth is, and I know people are like, you know, well, you know. Uh, slamming for this, but truth is fluid. What was true back then ain't true today. You know what I mean? You can't apply the same, the same, you know, the same things and the same prescriptions and the same remedies for what was going on 20 or 30 years ago. You cannot apply them today because today is different. We got technology, we got social media. You know, I can't just send my daughter to her room to think about what she's done. There's there's stuff in there to do in there. You know what I mean? You got to, TV and a, and a computer. That's not no punishment. You know what I'm saying? There's, there's, there's things you can't, you know, there's, we've had to make some of those adjustments. And I think that one of the things that, that we as our society needs to understand is that, yes, we can still keep the constitution and also evolve our, um, our uh, policies to all work together. Those things can still be can still be relevant, and we don't need to change any of it. But we can certainly adjust some things to work with the way things are today. You know. So I'm laughing here. Um, if you see the comments, that's my dad who thinks that you. See, my my dad follows us, David. <laughs> oh, does he? <laughs> Who says that you should run for political office, Scabs? Uh-uh. Is that hey, your that's next? Good. <laughs> and now I see the comments. That's great. That's great. Good, good, good point, Jim. Well, that's what are. Wait, wait, what is? What is it? Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Mr. Richmond. Thank you. <laughs> So, Gabs, after you win your case, you have to start thinking about your next the office you're going to run for. <laughs> Look, honey, I'll be lucky if I can keep my relationship together. I'm like, oh, Lord. You know, when you're doing this kind of stuff, it's like it takes up a lot of time and energy. And I told my boyfriend, I said, honey, when this is over, we are moving to Italy. <laughs> like, we're the people might not let me leave the people might, might not let me go that's what one of that's what that's the advice mm-hmm. i got from a civil mm-hmm. rights leader not to mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's yeah. the thing. That's the thing. I mean, sometimes, you know, I talk to friends who are like, well, you know, we just want to go hide, whatever, find an island, whatnot. And it's like, no, this is worth this is worth staying around for. And and if the people like us go and find the island, then it will continue to go downhill the way we've seen it. So you're, you know, you're very appreciated your work and and your courage to to do what you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah. I appreciate that. I I hope I hope that um I hope that more people will realize that you don't you don't need to be brave. I mean, like if we are if we all fight this and if we all 
um, try to come to an understanding about what it is that needs to happen, then don't nobody has to be brave, you know. That's we're right. not there yet, though. We're not there yet. You're though. We're we're working yeah. on it. That's why we're doing what we're doing here. That's why we're having these conversations. We're working on it, but it's still, I think, um, very frightening for a lot of people. A lot. So again, you. Yeah, you, you, know, you I are- don't understand. I don't understand. It. And I, t- I, I mean, Elena, you know, me and Elena talk about that all the time. And she says, you know, um, <laughs> Elena says, um, you, I mean, you would jump in front of a speeding bullet for your kids. And this is the bullet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this this is this is like this is turning into a real culture war. And and really, I think a lot in a lot of ways, we're talking past each other in a lot of aspects and it's allowing for bad things to seep in. You know, it's leaving a it's leaving a um, it's leaving a, a, a vacuum for uh, bad things to get in. And we don't need to do that. Yeah. Could not agree more. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. You Gabs, you're awesome. Cheers to you. I know that you're in Texas now, and I know now that you're a Texas girl, so we've got that in common as well. So when next time you're in Austin, let me know. I will do that. I will do that. And I will do the same uh if I'm in Houston when you're visiting. Okay. Well, I don't live in Houston. I still live right still in Las Vegas, but I'm visiting my mother. So. You're visiting your mom. Yeah. But it's nice okay. to know and know another Texas girl. Right. <laughs> Well, thank you very much. Oh gosh, you're you're we we appreciate you. Take care. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hold My Drink. Like or subscribe to the show and check out the show notes for links to source material and to our website where you can find what each of us is reading every week. Different news with different views. If you have a topic that you would like us to explore, drop us a line. And join us next week as we say, hold my drink, and the conversation gets real.